Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. We're so glad that you're joining us to listen to this message. Whoever you are and wherever you're listening from, we trust that you'll be equipped, envisioned and encouraged as you listen today. So it's good to be together, and uh, I think the bank holiday weekend has uh, sort of made us a little bit less full than normal, but that's fine. We're here. If you're here, just give me a wave, just so I can check that you are actually... Hello, everybody. Also, just to cool me down a little bit, we've got the fans going now, so uh, that's a good thing. It's no secret that our focus for some time now has been the cross and the crown. I think we're all pretty pretty switched on to that now, aren't we? And um, this month, we've started to look together at uh, the power of the cross, and David did a fantastic job kicking us off at the beginning of the month and talked about the power of the cross for us, in us, and through us. And he talked about the power of the cross being for us, that the cross and the message of the cross is of itself all-sufficient. It doesn't need our help to add human wisdom to it or self-effort. God doesn't need a hand. Jesus doesn't need any help with the work that he did. He did it all on the cross. And it's a simple message to some offensive, to others foolish, but the message is the message. He came, he died. He paid the price. And he rose again. And if you believe that, that Jesus died for you, and you believe that he rose again, and you confess that he's Lord, the Bible tells us, you're saved. It's the only way. It's for us. It's in us that when we understand that and we receive it, something happens inside of us. I love meeting people who've just got saved, and they realize they're changing, and they're not trying to change. But the cross is working in their lives. I look at Tony Ryan over there, and he's like, I used to do this all the time, and now I don't do it at all. And I'm not trying to not do it. I just don't do it. Certain things in us die because of the power of the cross in us. But then it's not just for us to contain it. There's a power to come through us. We've been reminded we're a kingdom of priests. We're here to minister the power and the life of the cross. And Deborah talked about the, the life that comes that the cross brings life. The very breath of God, the very life of God. Resurrection life. Do you know what? There's no need for resurrection life if there hasn't been a death. I know that's not major theologically um, difficult concept, but there has to be death for resurrection life to take place. And I understand that we were, the Bible tells us we were dead in our trespasses and sins. It says that in Romans. But also, what the cross does, and what I want to focus on today, is the fact that we have to die to live. And that without the cross, there's no crown. No cross, no crown. 
And you know, we're looking at the, the cross today, um, and have been now for a number of months, and I just want to remind us, it's because of a prophetic word that came last year to say, as you look at the cross, as you grow in understanding and revelation of the cross and what it achieved, it's going to release power, it's going to release miracles, it's going to transform you. And we've heard that the cross is God's answer, his total answer to man's total need, the means by which God is able to totally restore all things to himself. That when Jesus died on the cross, he didn't just die and pay the price for my sins, he paid the price for the sins of all mankind, but not only that, he carried the curse of sin and its influence that had affected and infected not just humanity, but all of creation. And in wearing the curse, the sign of the curse of the ground, the thorns and thistles on his head, he carried them on the cross and he said, when he rose again, that curse has been broken. It's done. Sin and its power have been dealt with. Death and its threat and it's the fear that it brings has been dealt with. The curse of sin has been lifted and broken. The cross was applied to creation and it transformed it. And it brought about the promise that God had to restore everything to himself. Three days of history that transformed eternity. That's the cross. That's what we're learning about together. I, I don't know how much you've been looking <clears throat> watching the, the kind of the various electioneering that's taking place at the moment, and we've got the general election on, I think it's Thursday the 8th of June, and I know things were paused, a lot of canvassing, and all that was paused because of the terrible events that happened at the Manchester Arena, but in, in the, and we pray for, for all the families there and everybody that's been affected by that terrible, that terrible incident, but one of the, the criticisms that's been leveled at, at politicians and lead politicians is this. They don't know what it's like to be a regular Joe. They, they, they're protected. They live in a protective bubble. They don't know what it's like to struggle financially. They don't know what it's like to draw on an overstretched health service or an education system that works in some places and not others. They're protected. They're aloof. They're distant. They don't get it. Have anybody heard those? Anybody think those things sometimes, maybe? As long as we honor them, because the Bible tells us we need to honor our leaders. Even Donald Trump. Everybody. No, I'm serious. The word, and we'll read it today. We need to be very careful as believers about what we say about those that God has put in authority, whether we agree with it, get it or not. But there's that view of they're distant, they're aloof, they don't understand. Do you know what? When you take the cross, you realize that God is not like that. God is not like that. Our leaders are protected. Our God is proactive. And God himself, just the, 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 the morning star, the son of God, the only begotten son, the eternal word, the cherished, revered, glorified one. That's the son. Eternal. There in the beginning with God, was God. Perfect, sinless, spotless, glorious, wonderful, worshipped, and rightfully so laid all of that aside. He emptied himself of all divine privileges. He took off the, the, clothe, the, the clothing, if you like, of glory in which he had always abided in for eternity. Laid it all aside and became flesh and blood. And not only did he know what it was like to live in the world as a human being, 
which in of itself is pretty incredible, isn't it? That he would lay all that aside and experience humanity. And not just while he was on earth, he took that on for it for, forevermore. Became a man. Not just while he was on earth. He's a man in heaven. In his resurrected body. Laid all of it aside. He exchanged his awesome glory for human frailty and weakness. Lowered himself. Became flesh. Lived among us. He is not aloof. This is our God. He cares. He knows. And listen to this. He suffered. You know, sometimes we look at the world around us and we say, God, why is this happening? Why is this evil happening? And, and the prophet Habakkuk was really struggling with this. He said, God, where are you? You're not seeing what's going on. And yet God is not distant or aloof. He's totally aware of our sufferings. And any suffering that's happening in the world around us that influences us, trust me, it influences God's heart way more than we could ever imagine because he loves this world so passionately. He cares, he knows, and he suffered. He lived and he died on a cross. This means God himself suffered. God himself took our place. God himself faced every temptation, experienced every physical, mental, and emotional challenge. God himself was brutally beaten, abandoned, and even entered physical death. The son lowered himself. But what does the Bible tell us? God lifted him. He descended, but he also ascended. Ephesians 4.10 said, The same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens. That's who we've been worshiping this morning. And you know, in the work that he did on the cross and that incredible work of, of redeeming us, the, the, the work of the cross and what Jesus did, he not only did it to save us and pay, which he did, he also did it to show us the way. The little rhyme for us there didn't just do it to save us and pay. He did it to show us the way. What I mean by that is he set a pattern for us. And the pattern is this. No cross, no crown. That's right. And that's why this message can be offensive to some and foolish to others. Not just what Jesus did, but then what we have to do to come into all that God has for us. It's foolish to think that suffering can be glorious. It's foolish to think that denying yourself brings fullness of life. And it's offensive to think that a son who's glorified should live and suffer as a servant or a slave, or that death can lead to life. And yet that's exactly what we see at the cross. And, we, and this is what we know because Jesus has gone ahead of us. It works. Amen. How do I know that? Because in Revelation 5, right now, there's a lamb who was slain, who's seated on a throne, and all of creation is worshiping him. They're worshiping a lamb who was slain, who is now crowned king of glory. Why? Because the king who is faced and endured the cross. No cross, no crown. They sing blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. The Lamb, the sacrifice, the King's sovereignty, the Lamb, the cross, the King, the crown. That's the pattern. We've already read from Romans this morning, Romans 5, Romans 6, Romans 8 says this, since we are his children, verses 17 and 18, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. And we're all like, yes, that sounds fantastic. I'm in. Glory. But then it says, but if we're to share in his glory, we must also share in his sufferings. Oh. Knew there would be a catch. No. 
Just as yet, what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. 2 Corinthians 1.5 says that if we share in, his, in suffering, God will also share with us his great comfort. I think one of the greatest challenges facing Western Christians is that we're very comfortable. Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're, we are more blessed now than any other, probably any other generation before us in so many ways. The material comforts that we have, the financial blessing that we have, the food that's in our stomach, the houses that we live in, the clothes that we wear, we are so blessed. And yet that in itself can, can cause us to become lukewarm. Because all of a sudden, God, I don't need you so much anymore. I've got my massive TV. And that entertains me and speaks to me. Lord, I don't need your comfort anymore. I've got a great bed. There's no roll together. It's Celie's Postopedic. I was, other beds are available. But in, in Revelation 3, 21, Jesus challenges the church in Laodicea, and he says, you, you, you've got everything you need financially, but you've become lukewarm. And so therefore, discipline will come. And in some ways, you think that's harsh, but he's saying, no, you need to understand what it is to face discipline, to face God training, to face trial, to face your faith being tested and to suffer in some ways so that you can be restored, purified, made ready for glory. Jesus himself says that to live, you have to die. To be great, you need to serve. That if you want heaven, you've got to give up everything that's earthly. That we have to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. It's challenging. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, German, uh, wonderful German Christian man during the Second World War, wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship. And there's a very famous quote that says, he says, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. But I just want to read some of the, verse, the, 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 the sentences around that very well-known um, quote. Just listen carefully to me if you can, and I just want to read this. It says, the cross is laid on every Christian. The first Christ suffering which every man must experience is the call to abandon the attachments of this world. It is that dying of the old man which is the result of his encounter with Christ. This is what Simon was reading about in Romans 6 today. We're dead to those things because we're joined with Christ. As we embark upon discipleship, we surrender ourselves to Christ in union with his death. We give over our lives to death. Thus it begins. That's not the end point. Death is at the beginning. Thus it begins. And he goes on to say, the cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life, but it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. It must be a death like that of the first disciples who had to leave home or work to follow him. Or it may be a death like Luther's who had to leave the monastery and go out into the world. But it is the same death every time. Death in Jesus Christ, the death of the old man at his call. That's the cross. That everything we have, we bring and we lay. And we say, Lord, you died on the cross. Take everything of my old life. It's got to die at the cross. Otherwise, it will influence us. Otherwise, it will affect us. That's why it has to die. Once something is dead, it's gone. The cross 
only comes as a result, uh, the crown, sorry, only comes as a result of the cross, the cross to the crown. There's no success without sacrifice. There's no overcoming without facing opposition. No, if you haven't got something to conquer, you wouldn't be a conqueror. But the fact that it's something you have to, we have to overcome, there's no overcoming without opposition. There's no testimony without a testing. There's no triumph without trial. And there's no honoring without obeying. And I want us to um, read through 1 Peter together today. And um, I've asked eight different people to be ready to read different chunks of, of Peter's letter, 1 Peter. But I love Peter's perspective. He's a wonderfully unique perspective of the cross and the crown. You know, think about his life. He walked, he ate, he rubbed shoulders with Jesus during his earthly ministry for three years. He saw all the incredible things that Jesus did. But, but Peter wasn't perfect. He had his highs, he had his lows. He had a huge catch, catch of fish in obedience to a landlubber. Jesus tells him to do something. A carpenter telling a fisherman what to do, but he obeys and he makes a great big catch of fish. He falls to the floor awestruck when Jesus is glorified on the Mount of Transfiguration. He had a personal revelation that Jesus was the Messiah. He watched him wonder firsthand as Jesus healed the sick, raised the dead, fed the multitudes, walked on water. In fact, he walked alongside Jesus on the water. I want to chat to him about that when I get to. He reclined at the table at the Last Supper and he boldly declared, Lord, I'll never abandon you. And the lows, he couldn't stay awake on the Mount of Olives just for an hour to pray with Jesus. In the garden, he slashes his sword, chops off a servant's ear, and then follows at a safe distance to watch Jesus face his trials and then actively denies knowing him three times. And then he hides and runs like all the other disciples after Jesus has been crucified and buried. And yet he's also wonderfully restored. Restored by Jesus on the beach. Taught the kingdom truths of the kingdom of God by a resurrected Lord for 40 days, watched him ascend in glory. He witnessed firsthand the cross and the crown of Christ, received the Holy Spirit when Jesus sent him and preached a great word that saw 3,000 people saved and added to the church just in one day from one preach. From then on, he's bold, he's unwavering. He's not perfect, but he moves in miracle power. His shadow brings healing to people on the streets. Oh, Lord, <laughs> that's, a, that's a miracle. I want us to move in. Just the shadow carries healing. He's beaten, he's imprisoned, and get this, he ultimately dies on a cross for his faith. He was a man who faced the cross, but he knew that it was because he was gonna receive a crown of glory. He witnessed the cross and crown of Christ, he lived it himself. Tradition says that he was crucified upside down, not wanting to be crucified on a cross like his savior. He wasn't worthy and was crucified on a cross upside down, but he faced his own literal cross. But many times he took the cross on in his own life. There were many deaths, I'm sure, in Peter's life, just as there is for us. It's not one big ultimate death, it's death. Every day we bring everything to the cross because we know that ahead of us is a crown of great glory. And in his letter to the church in Asia Minor, in 1 Peter, he's writing to a church that's facing persecution, facing suffering, facing opposition and discrimination, actively injustice from the people around them for their faith. And he praises them for their trust in Jesus, commends them for their love for him, even though they've never seen him. And, I, and, and there are couplets of the cross and crown references that I would just like us to consider together um, after we've had these verses read, or while they're being read, actually. 
So, I have already primed some wonderful people to come and read to us. And so, um, Leone, if you'd come up first, please. And um, I'm going to call you up individually because uh, there's, between some, there's just something I'd like to say. Can we give Leone a big, warm round of applause? Just to let you know, the words are going to be up on the screen from the, the version that's being read, so you can read it there rather than in your own Bibles. This is from the New Living Translation. Just going to pray before we start that, that as the word is read, you know, the word itself carries power. And so, Lord, we open our hearts to your word. We thank you, Lord, that you've inspired it. Holy Spirit, as the author, we ask that you'd come right now and help us to understand what you've written, that you'd bring it to life for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. 1 Peter 1, chapter 1, verse 1. This letter is from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I am writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Binthia. God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and his spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more grace and peace. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So be truly glad. This is wonderful, there is wonderful joy ahead, even though you have to endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You love him even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. This salvation was something even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about the gracious salvation prepared for you. They wondered what time or situation the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about when he told them in advance about Christ's suffering and his great glory afterward. They were told that their messages were not for themselves, but for you. And now this good news has been announced to you by those who preach in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It is all so wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. Wonderful, thank you. If you could just put the last slide up, Adam, the one before this one. You see there where it talks about the prophets who were prophesying about us. <laughs> and they're wondering, they're scratching their, their beards, the prophets, about what was going on. And they said they wondered what time or situation the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about when he told them in advance about Christ's suffering and his great glory afterward. And now we're looking back and we're seeing it in context and we understand it in a way that they never could at that time. But what I'm encouraged about by this is that they were prophesying ahead about Christ's suffering and great glory afterward. And I just want to say this, whatever trials and difficulties we face, it's not a surprise to God and that he's in it it with us. 
He's seen it already. And the glory that he's forming in us, the things that he's doing to transform us and prepare us for the crown, we have to trust him that he's seen it all. You know, there are some trials and difficulties we face. And it's like Paul says, Lord, I've I've asked you to remove this from me. But God says, no, my grace is sufficient for you. That when we face sufferings and trials, it's good to go to God and ask him at times to to lift them or remove them, but to know that he's in control. And if anything that we're facing is a result of our own sin, our own mistakes, then God can tell us. But if it's something that God is doing in us to help us and shape us, his grace is sufficient for us. He already knows. And he's preparing us for a great crown. Okay, Ashley, if you'd come forward and read the next chunk, please. So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scripture says, you must be holy because I am holy. And remember that the heavenly father to whom you pray has no favorites. He will judge or reward you according to what you do. So you must live in reverent fear of him during your time here as temporary residents. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. Amen. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. But now in these last days, he has, re- he has been revealed for your sake. Through Christ, you have come to trust in God. And you have placed your faith and hope in God. Because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart. For you have been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever Mm. because it comes from the eternal living word of God. As the scriptures say, people are like grass. Their beauty is like a flower in the field, but the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And that word is the good news that was preached to you. Wonderful. Thank you. You just put the previous slide up again, please, Adam. The one before this one, if you could. And there it says in verse 21, you've placed your faith and hope in God because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. Again, raised him from the dead, the cross, and gave him great glory, the crown. And for us to be reminded that the only place where resurrection life can be seen is when there's been death. And when we lay everything before him. You know, it's an empty life. That's what Peter says that you you are saved from. And the cares of the world, the issues that we have, the temptations that we have, we lay them down and know that we're exchanging those things for glory, for resurrection life. Okay, Muriel, if you'd please come and read the next chunk. Thank you. 
So get rid of all evil behavior, be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech. Like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. You are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. You are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What more, what's more, you are his holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. As the scriptures say, I'm placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem, chosen for great honor, and anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Amen. Yes, you who trust him recognize the honor God has given him. But for those who reject him, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone, and he is the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they do not obey God's word, and so they meet the fate that was planned for them. But you are not like that. For you are a chosen people. Yes. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people. Now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. Dear friends, I warn you, as temporary residents and foreigners, to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then, even they, if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior, and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. Thank you. In verse 4 of chapter 2, he says... You're coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, the cross, but he was chosen by God for great honor, the crown. And in our pursuit of God, we will be rejected by people. That will be part of the cross that we will have to face, the bear. But we will also understand this, we will be honored by God for it. He's the one that we're here to serve. And then in verse 7, it says, The stone the builders rejected, again, speaking of the cross, became the chief cornerstone, the crown of glory. That whatever trials we're facing, whatever opposition or suffering we're facing, it's temporary, but Jesus is the chief cornerstone, that glory is eternal. It's a far, far greater thing that we're coming into. Okay, Nathan, if you'd come and read for us, and then Sarah's going to read after Nathan. For the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority, whether the king is head of the state or the officials he has appointed. For the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and to honor those who do right. It is God's will that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. For you are free, yet you are God's slaves, so don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Respect everyone and love the family of believers. 
Fear God and respect the king. You who are slaves must submit to your masters with all respect. Do what they tell you, not only if they are kind and reasonable, but even if they are cruel. For God is pleased when, conscious of his will, you patiently endure unjust treatment. Of course, you get no credit for being patient if you are beaten for doing wrong. But if you suffer for doing good and endure it patiently, God is pleased with you. For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you must follow in his steps. He never sinned, nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross, so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds you are healed. Once you were sheep who wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. Wives, in the same way, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands. Then, even if some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. They will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. Don't be concerned about the outward beauty of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. You should clothe yourself instead with the beauty that comes from within, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. This is how the holy women of old made themselves beautiful. They trusted God and accepted the authority of their husbands. For instance, Sarah obeyed her husband, Abraham, and called him her master. You are her daughters when you do what is right without fear of what your husband might do. Husbands, in the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should so that your prayers will not be hindered. All Christians, finally, all of you should be of one mind. Sympathize with each other, love each other as brothers and sisters, be tender-hearted and keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do, and he will bless you for it. For the scriptures say, If you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right, and his ears are open to their prayers, but the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. Very practical, isn't it? Yeah. The application of the cross to our lives is very practical. It affects our relationships, our attitudes to one another. Andrew, if you'd come, Andrew Jackson, there he is. Just read for us the next chunk.
Now, who will want to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Remember, it is better to suffer for doing good, if that is what God wants, than to suffer for doing wrong. Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the spirit. So he went and preached to the spirits in prison, those, who's dis those who disobeyed God long ago when God waited patiently while Noah was building his boat. Only eight people were saved from drowning in that terrible flood. And that water is a picture of baptism, which now saves you, not by removing dirt from your body, but as a response to God from a clean conscience. It is effective because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now Christ has gone to heaven. He is seated in the place of honor next to God, and all the angels and authorities and powers accept his authority. Wonderful. Thank you. We just put the last slide up again, Adam, the one before this one. Thank you, Andrew. Goes on to say that he suffered physical death, the cross, but he was raised to life in the spirit, the crown. And again, showing us that he set the pattern for us. And that as we do this, the Holy Spirit, if we want spirit-filled lives, then certain parts of our lives need to die. Yeah. Yes. Those attachments to worldly things die, but in its place, the Spirit fills us with spirit-filled resurrection life. Yeah. Okay, Judith, if you'd like to read the next bit. Thank you. So then... Since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude he had and be ready to suffer too. For if you have suffered physically for Christ, you have finished with sin. You won't spend the rest of your lives chasing your own desires, but you will be anxious to do the will of God. You have had enough in the past of the evil things that godless people enjoy their immorality and lust, their feasting and drunkenness and wild parties, and their terrible worship of idols. Of course, your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things they do. So they slander you. But remember that they will have to face God, who stands ready to judge everyone, both the living and the dead. That is why the good news was preached to those who are now dead. So although they were destined to die like all people, they now live forever with God in the spirit. The end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. 
Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself was speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. Dear friends, don't be surprised by the fiery trials you are going through, as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering, so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. If you are insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you will be blessed for the glorious spirit of God rests upon you. Thank you. Again, the cross and the crown talks about facing trials, facing difficulties, facing challenges. But if we do that and we come through those things that we'll also see and share in his glory, the crown, that we're joint heirs with Christ and that there's great joy for us in all that God has for us. Okay, Scott, if you would just read for us the last section as we, we close. Thank you. If you suffer, however, it must not be for murder, stealing, making trouble, or prying into other people's affairs. But it's no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by his name. Mm-hmm. For the time has come for judgment, and it must begin with God's household. And if judgment begins with us, then what terrible fate awaits those who have never obeyed God's good news? And also, if the righteous are barely saved, what will happen to godless sinners? So if you are suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right and trust your lives to the God who created you, for he will never fail you. And now, a word to you who are elders in the churches. I too am an elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ. And I too will share in his glory when he is revealed to the whole world. As a fellow elder, I appeal to you, care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly and not grudgingly, not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. And when the great shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. In the same way, you younger men must accept the authority of the elders, and all of you serve each other in humility. For God opposes the proud, but he favors the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. Stay alert. Watch out for the great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your Christian brothers and sisters all over the world are going through the same kind of suffering you are. In his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by the means of Jesus Christ. So after you've suffered a little while, he will restore, support, and strengthen you, and he will place you on a firm foundation. All power to him forever. Amen. I have written and sent this short letter to you with the help of Silas, whom I commend to you as a faithful brother. My purpose in writing is to encourage you 
and assure you that you are, what you are experiencing is truly part of God's grace for you. Stand firm in this grace. Your sister church here in Babylon sends you greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet each other with Christian love. Peace be with all of you who are in Christ. Amen. Thank you. Again, the cross and the crown appears so often. It talks about partners with Christ in his suffering, the cross. Then you'll also have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory, the crown. He says that I am an elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ, the cross, and I will share in his glory when he's revealed to the whole world, the crown. Humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, cross. At the right time, he will lift you up in honor, the crown. God lifts us as we lower ourselves. God brings us joy as we align ourselves with Jesus Christ. It's his example. Before the crown can be placed, the cross must be embraced. We endure the cross to be endowed with the crown. We suffer with Christ and we're glorified with him. Can we just stand together for a moment, please? So as I was praying and and thinking this morning, there were sort of two questions, really, that I just wanted to submit to us as we've considered these things together. And the first thing is this. Where is the cross being applied in your life at the moment? Where are you facing challenges, difficulties, trials? There's suffering that's happening, and you know that it's not because of something that you've done that's wrong. It's not that you're in sin or anything like that, but you just know that you're facing opposition at the moment. You're doing what's right in that context, but you're still facing opposition and trial. And I just want to pray this morning that as we gather together, the grace that you need, the strength that you need, the joy that you need will be imparted afresh to you this morning. Where is the cross being applied? The second question is this, what needs bringing to the cross? Are there things in our lives where we need to bring them, they need to die, we need to put them to death this morning? Are there areas in our lives that we need to submit to him afresh? Are there priorities that we need to change and shift? Are there relationships where forgiveness is needed? Maybe some relationships that need to end because they're not God's best for us. Some relationships that need a fresh love and care invested in them. Ways that we think, but just where we, things we need to bring to the cross. Where is the cross being applied and what do we need to bring to the cross? Thanks for joining us today. There's so much going on at Living Rock Church and we'd love for you to be involved. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching. Visit www.livingrock.church or search for us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram.